in preparation of the message, let's just bow our hearts once again. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. O Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. Therefore, Father, we ask for understanding of your word and enablement in our wills, preparation, that we may be as the wise virgins and watchfuls towards, eagerly awaiting the return of our beloved Lord and Savior, our bridegroom and our master, in Christ, whose name we pray. Amen. We've been looking at the theme of the Lord's first coming and second coming over the past few weeks and we will continue to do so in the month of May and June. We looked at the purpose of His coming. We looked at Easter, Good Friday. And now we come to the place between the two comings. The Lord has come, the Lord has ascended, and we wait for His second coming. And now, the question is, what should the church be doing between these two comings? What is our role? What is the purpose? What is the church to be engaged in? What are believers to be doing? What's the role of the church? Essentially, quickly, the role of the church is threefold, like a tripod. And all the legs need to be equal or else your tripod would fall. One of the legs of the, legs of the tripod, which is the mission of the church, mission number one towards God, that mission is worship. God has left the church over here that we may worship Him. That's the mission of the church. But that's a Godward mission. How about a mission that looks inward or a mission that looks towards other believers? That's mission number two. And that would be nurture, growing. As Peter says, that grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's objective number two. But what about our objective to the people outside the world? Is that your responsibility and mine? Is that the goal of the church? Is that a mission? Is that a worthy calling of the church? Is that something that God has entrusted us to do? And yes, that's the third objective. That's the three legs of the tripod. And if one of them is shorter then there would be an imbalance in the tripod. I guess we have all been strong in our church in worship. We love worship. Whenever there's a worship call, all of us are here. We love nurturing. We love Bible studies. We all join together. But then let me ask you, what is the purpose? What do you do after you worship? And for what purpose are you nurturing yourself? 
for what objective are you studying the word of God? Is it to gain knowledge? Is it to have a lot of understanding of the Bible? Let me ask you, so what? And that should lead to something that enables us to hear the heartbeat of God. If you see the whole message of the Bible, there's only one message in the Bible. Even though we love to take promises from the book of Isaiah, especially beginning from chapter 40 onwards, we've got them stuck all over our walls at home, got them framed, we send them as text messages. We love the book of Isaiah. It's got lots of promises. But what's the message of the Bible? Where does it begin? Where does it end? God has only one message, redeem the lost. That's it. That's all. That's all. The book of Genesis is all about that. The book of Revelation is all about that and everything in between is all about that. There's no other message in the Bible. All the promises given unto you Brethren, are for you to seek and to save the lost along with God. Period. If you miss that point, you've missed the, the purpose of the promise. We all love the wealth of Abraham, but along with the promise of wealth, God said that, and then you shall be a blessing unto the nations. So to what end is our blessing? To what end is our worship? Have you given it a thought? And that brings us to our text this morning. I invite you to turn to Matthew 28. Very familiar passage. We've read it, we've heard it, preached several times. It is to this message of the ministry to the world that I invite you to read Matthew 28, 16 to 20. I could almost see some of your lips moving. And you've begun with, go ye therefore. And we'll get to that, but let's just read beginning from 16. It says that, then the eleven went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. What are the requirements for carrying out the Great Commission? We know that this passage is known as the Great Commission, but if you've missed this passage and the import of this passage, you've missed the message of the Bible. I would be bold enough to say that you have missed the message of the whole Bible. It's not just the climax. This is the peak this is the end point. This is to which all of the prophets, all of the law and all of the gospel writers were aiming. And then quickly we look at three components over here. 
First one is an encounter with the risen Lord. An encounter with the risen Lord through willingness and worship. Number two, submission to the authority of the Lord through obedience. Number three, empowerment through the promise of the Lord. We need to cover a lot of ground, so I'd be going at a galloping speed. I hope you'd be with me. Number one, an encounter with the risen Lord through willingness and worship. Verse 16, then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. Therefore, the first requirement before we even go out is to have a willingness. Think about this. This is where Jesus was about to give the great commission and what if no one showed up? Have you wondered? It was not the first time he talked about Galilee. In chapter 26 he said, I will meet you in Galilee. In verse 7 of chapter 28 he told the women he met, tell them that I will meet you in Galilee. And then sandwiched between that is the episode of the security guards who went and took, took money and they began to spread the news that somebody came and stole the body away. But then leave that part alone. Jesus rose, met the women, said go to Galilee and then we come to this portion which says that and then the people went. The first requirement is to show up. You need to show up. I mean, there are countless blessings that are missed by you because you don't show up. True? Innumerable opportunities that you miss out because you don't show up. And by you, I'm not saying you. I'm using it in the general sense. Because I don't show up. Now, let's become politically correct. I don't want to offend you. Because I don't show up. The first requisite is meet God where he says you need to meet him. He says go to Galilee. Yes, I'm going to Galilee. But where? On the mountain. Which mountain? I wouldn't know. But it was on the mountain that it was provided. Unless you're there in the right mountain, you will miss it. So the first requirement is a willingness or an availability. The Lord is not looking for ability. The greatest ability is availability. Not many of us who were wise or clever or smart or tall or handsome or rich were chosen. But God has chosen the scum of the earth. Today's message is going to be basically an invitation. At the end of this, I want at least 200 of us, that's the whole of us, to make up our minds to make a difference. What's the thesis of this message? Don't come to me after this message at 2 o'clock and say, Brother, I love the message. I would ask you, then go. So you better don't come to me. And I'm serious. Because we, if we don't make a difference, then we are disobeying this great commission. Do you know that? 
We have only two options when we come to Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Two options and two only. Obey or disobey. There's no two ways. You go out and make disciples or you don't. And now you must be thinking, how can I go to Somalia? We'll get to that. Be with me. First get to the mountain. First go to the mountain with a heart of willingness. Lord, I am willing. When Isaiah saw the Lord, he was worshipping. And then the Lord said, who shall I send? He looked around and said, your choices are limited, God. Here I am, send me. Would you be willing? Requisite number one. Availability. Willingness. Nothing happens unless you decide to show up. Have you made yourself available to God? I mean, how many Bible studies more do you need to be convinced? How many, many evangelistic meetings do you need to go to? Are you one in statistics? I was there at Benny Hinn's meeting. There were 20 million people. I was one among them. Are you a statistic? Then you will remain a statistic. Number two. If the first component is willingness, the second component is worship. And when they saw him, they worshipped. Isn't that beautiful? Verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped. But some doubted. I love that. Who do you think doubted? I don't think it was the leaven who doubted. Because you need to read all the Gospels together. Jesus had already presented himself to the leaven. He had already rebuked, Mark chapter 16, he had already rebuked the disciples that, for their unbelief. I think this consisted of the 500 that Apostle Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 15. He said that, and then there were 500 who saw the Lord, many of whom are still alive. So, it's not just the 11 who went up the mountain. Matthew says it is the 11 who went up because Matthew was writing to the Jews. Let's understand the whole, whole Bible. Matthew's commission was for the Jews. How do you know the beginning of the genealogy? Matthew stops at, and Jesus is son of Abraham. Because Abraham was the greatest father that was given to the nation of Israel. God was through the pen of Matthew, writing to the Jews. And that's why he picked out and he said, the eleven went up the mount. But I don't think it was just the eleven, because it says that, and some doubted. So who were the ones who doubted? And let me tell you, it's not wrong to doubt. What is sinful is disbelief. Or unbelief. What is unbelief? Unbelief is refusal to believe in spite of evidence. Doubt is hesitation.
That word is used only twice in the New Testament. Once in Matthew 14, when Jesus invited Peter to get out of the boat, and he started walking and started sinking, he said, why did you doubt? Why did you hesitate? There was no disbelief over there, correct? Did he not walk over water? He believed that this is the Lord, but then he doubted. The second time, only two times, the second time is over here, some doubted. Are you sitting there doubtful? What do you think the doubts would be? This is how you do a Bible study. Ask questions to the text. What do you think the doubt would be? Some would have doubted and said, is he really alive? I mean, is that Jesus? Did he really die? Was he buried three days? Isn't that what your doubt would be? But I like the next verse which says that, and Jesus drew near. He doesn't rebuke you when you are doubtful. He didn't rebuke Thomas when Thomas said that I will believe only if I touched the sides. He presented himself. I challenge you, if you are doubtful tonight, if you are doubtful this afternoon, ask the Lord, Lord, if you are real, reveal yourself unto me. And he would. He doesn't chide. He's a father. He wants to clarify your doubt. He wants you to walk above the doubt. Some worship. Requirement number two, worship. Why? Worship, unless you have seen the risen Lord, unless you worship Him as the sovereign God, what else are you going to tell them who are outside? Unless you first worship, if you yourself do not know how to worship, if you have not experienced God as sovereign Lord, worthy of worship, you are not going to invite anyone else to worship, are you? It was not wicked doubt. It was genuine doubt. Why is it important to worship? Your ministry is the offspring, is the offshoot of your deep worship. Let me tell you, any ministry that lasts is a ministry that is built on worship. Unless you have acknowledged God as Lord and Sovereign and, and King of the ministry, your ministry would go down. Whatever it be. Build it on worship. And that's exactly the ingredient, the requirement of evangelism is that you need to come into a place of deep worship of God. Heartfelt worship of God. Two components. Willingness and worship. We move on. Submission to the authority of the Lord leading to obedience. Verse 18 to 20. Submission to the authority of the Lord leading to obedience. You need to submit to the authority of the Lord and how do you show your submission? Through obedience. But let's just look at those verses again. Verse 18 says, And Jesus came and spoke to them. That's the place I was referring to. The Lord came close and he spoke to them and he said, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father 
and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. It's a very lofty claim. A very lofty claim. All authority. It's a huge claim. Incredibly lofty claim. The word used over there for authority is exousia. Which means the power to do anything. The ability to do anything. The capacity to do anything. And the will to do anything. That's exousia. And exousia is exercised by someone who is a sovereign. Who can do what he wants, when he wants, wherever he wants, with whomsoever he wants. That's exousia. And Jesus says, I have that. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Who gave it to him? Two things. The Father gave it to him. We find those glimpses in Daniel chapter 7, which is again given in, in Mark chapter 14. It says that, And then I saw one like the Son of Man. He, he approached the Ancient of Days and was given authority. So this authority was given unto him by the Father. Acts chapter 2, it says that all authority was given unto the Son by the Father. And the other thing is that this authority was also earned by Jesus. Philippians 2, which says that because he made himself low and submitted himself to such a such a low estate, God has now given him a name that is above every name, that at that name every knee should bow. That's authority. Now why should Jesus say, all authority is given unto me, therefore go. Let's understand that this is a bunch of weak, fearful people. Not much different from you and me. And the commission given to them was to go and make disciples. Don't you think they required some backup? I mean, it's logical. God knew that we would require some, some backup. When God appeared to Moses and said, go and liberate my people, what did Moses say? Yes, sir, I am ready. He said, no. Who do you... They drive me away from Egypt. Who is sending me? God had to give an attestation of his power. Even now God gives an attestation and he says, you are not going alone. All authority, all power has been given unto me. Has been given. I exercise all dominion. And then this was not new to the disciples. They had seen the Lord Jesus exercise his power. Demonstrate his power. He had power over the wind and the waves. He had power over the dead. He had power over sickness. He even had power over Satan and he said, get behind me, Satan. And he does have power in the future, Psalm 2, to break all the nations like pottery. 
read the book of Revelation, you will find all power has been given unto Jesus. And this is the Jesus who now says go. Therefore, don't you think that, that authority is important? And it is precisely for this reason, this lofty claim. And it was not the first time Jesus made lofty claims. He said, I am the resurrection and the life, John 12. I am the way, the life and the truth, John 14. I am the bread of life, John 6. I am the light of the world, John 12. He makes lofty claims. Why? Our message and our ministry depends on it. Your authority and my authority depends on who gives us authority. Mark chapter 16 says that in my name you shall cast out demons. And somebody tried this trick in the book of Acts. He said, the Jesus that Paul preaches. Do you have first-hand authority or have you taken second-hand authority? I pray in the name of Jesus that Pastor Lakin prays in. Is that your authority? We need to understand our position in Christ. Luke twenty four forty nine. I send the promise of the Father. I send the promise of the Father. Now what does that require of us? Submission. Verse 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now that's the command. Now comes the command. And we are, we are so quick to get to the command. Okay, here it is. This is the command. Go and make disciples. But I want to point out to you a couple of things. One is, go is not a verb. In the original Greek, the go therefore is not the verb. The go therefore is assumed. The real translation is having gone. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus assumes that you would go. Question. Are you a disappointment to Jesus? He has assumed. Having gone, make disciples. Make disciples. The noun, the verb make disciples is a complex verb which means make believing learners and learning believers. It's not just evangelism. I mean, our concept of evangelism is very narrow, brethren. We make a call from here and we say that everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, put up your hand and please repeat a prayer after me. And the person repeats the prayer and we say, you are saved. 
Who said? Not according to this verse. This verse says, make disciples. Easy believism wants to add numbers to the church. You find that throughout the world. People want to add numbers to the church and say that if you put up your hand, sign on a card, you are a believer. Not according to this verse. I mean, am I not talking the Bible? This verse says that you make disciples, you baptize them, you teach them. Three ingredients. And unless this is fulfilled, you are not added to the church. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that what this New Testament way of doing things is? And we've sorely missed the point. Let's come back to biblical Christianity. Let's make sure that we are making disciples. Number one, make disciples. How do you do that? Doing three things. By going or having gone. Two, by baptizing. Three, by teaching. And all these, all these verbs, mind you, all these verbs are infinite plural. Which means that you need to keep going, you need to keep baptizing, you need to keep teaching. God, I won somebody to Christ in 2004. Keep going. I have extracted obedience. You must be saying only pastor baptizes. That's fine. Have you led him to pastor? I don't get to baptize anyone over here. That is the only reason I'm not winning souls. I don't get to dunk anyone in the water. Only he gets to do it. Unfair. Have you led them to a place of submission to the command of God? Then you are making disciples. Number three, teach. Teach. And baptizing is like, there are, there are many of us who are reluctant to take baptisms. Because, or probably, maybe not you. I have faced certain people who come to me and say that I have been baptized as a child. Isn't that enough? So the question is, did you profess Christ as a child? The New Testament baptism is different. Did you see the baptism is in the name of the Father and of the Son? And of the Holy Spirit. The baptism which John the Baptist was preaching about. That's a baptism of repentance. That was given to the, to the people to become proselytes. So that they could become Jews. Did you know John the Baptist was an Old Testament prophet? Though he's mentioned in the New Testament. But the baptism of that Jesus says over here is identification with the death, burial and resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15. 
with the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. It's symbolic. And unless you do that, how would you invite someone to do that? Basic question. If you yourself have not obeyed, how can you invite someone to obey? Therefore, that's the baptism you've been invited to. That's the baptism you have, be, you have to administer. And it's easy for us. In 2014, here in this church, it's easy for us. Think about the first century people. They were persecuted. And yet they were bold to make a public confession. For us, it's in the closed buildings. For them, it was in open rivers or seas or lakes. We need to wake up out of easy believism, twisting of the scriptures, making it convenient for us. Wake up. Obey or disobey. That's it. When you, when you exit this hall, you have to make a decision. I will obey or I will disobey. Very simple. The third one is teach. Teach what? Teach them to observe. Isn't that what that scripture says? Verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. All. Everything. Everything that I commanded you. You mean only the New Testament? No. Even the Old Testament. Why? Luke 24 says that, and Jesus spoke from the Old Testament how the Old Testament fulfilled about himself. He opened their understanding. On the road to Emmaus, those two disciples got their understanding opened. Verse 44, 45 of chapter 24, Luke says that the disciples' understanding was opened. So we teach the whole counsel of God. Not a few scriptures here and there. Not a few scriptures here and there. Paul said that I did not shun to teach the whole counsel of God. I told you the good things and the bad. Just like I'm doing right now. I'm telling you all those things which has got pricking points. It might be hurting you, but as you go, you would go down on your knees and you would say, God, show me ways to obey. And I invite you to obey. The objective of this is not to beat you up. The objective of this is you must be saying that I come here one Friday and somebody beats me up. The objective is not to beat you up. The objective is to invite obedience. Teaching them to observe. That's again in the infinite plural. That verb observe. That means that you keep doing it. You keep obeying. You run to a scripture and you find something you've not obeyed, you obeyed. You obeyed. Teaching them to obey. Now how would you invite someone to obey unless you have first obeyed? I can't, I can't demand anything of my own children. Do you know that? In my own house, I cannot demand something of them unless I have first obeyed it. Because the Spirit of God convicts me. 
and says that how can you invite them to obedience when you yourself have not obeyed? Isn't that true of you? You are inviting someone to baptism, you've not been baptized. You are inviting someone to obedience, you don't obey. You are telling someone, go, you have not gone. Now that's the classic. But I need to come back to that, go, therefore. We'll come there. So we've seen baptizing, we've seen teaching. But then there is also having gone, what we talked about a moment ago. What does it mean, having gone? Go where? You're holding your breath. What am I going to say? Go to the place where Jesus is not Lord. It could be your office. Not Uganda. Shepherd of my soul, I give you full control. Wherever you may lead, except Uganda. I have made my choice to listen for your voice. Wherever you may lead, except Somalia. Go to the place where Christ is not honored, where Christ is not Lord. It could just be your neighbor. Go across the street. Go across the town. Go across the nation. Go across cultures. I don't speak to Chinese. I don't particularly like sushi that Japanese eat. So I, don't, I won't evangelize them. Jesus was cross-cultural. John 4, he went specifically for a Samaritan. He healed a centurion, a Roman servant. Are you cross-cultural? Transgress the cultural boundaries. That's the going or having gone, which God assumes. That's the baptizing and that's the teaching. Now all this cannot be done unless the Lord empowers. And that's the third part. Empowerment through the promise of the Lord. Second part of verse 20, which says that I am with you. And it begins by saying, Behold, I am with you. Or as the RSV says, Lo, I am with you. It's wonderful. Lo means stop, pay attention. I am with you. No less than I, the Sovereign Lord, am with you. Somebody has said that this I am with you is limited to them that go out. Make sense? This I am with you of Matthew 28:20 is limited to those who have gone out and having gone i am with you 
But then I don't want to make it so narrow, so difficult on you. Because God says over here that if you have gone, then you have to go out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Tarry ye, Acts 1.8. John 14, I will not leave you comfortless, I will send you another comforter. God says, I am with you. The empowerment, the power, the power to submit, the power to even will, beginning from willing, worship, submission, obedience, the power to do all this comes from the Holy Spirit, comes from the Lord. He says, I am with you. How long, Lord? Forever. What does the scripture say? Till the end of the age. How long is till the end of the age? Forever and ever. And then after that, and then after that we'll be with him. I am with you till the end of the age. And Matthew ends it by saying, Amen. I mean that's the, the most wonderful Amen. Says, so be it, Lord. That's what Amen means, correct? Yes, God, let it be so. I am with you even unto the end of the age. Amen. Now that's the challenge that I want to leave us with. An encounter with the risen Lord leading to willingness and worship. Submission to the authority of the Lord leading to obedience. And finally, empowerment through the promise of the Lord. Before we close, briefly I want to look at two other things. Very quickly. Number one, why are we reluctant in witnessing? This is a practical application, if you so will. Why are we reluctant in witnessing Two, what practical steps can I take now? One, we are reluctant to reach out because of a lack of compassion in our hearts. Number one, basic. You don't care. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's the whole truth. I don't care. I am not reaching out because I don't care. And our excuses are huge. And some of the most common ones are that he will make fun of me. Who cares? They made fun of Jesus. They said that if they do this to the master, they will do this to the servant. They called him a wine-bibber. They called him a, a demon-possessed. They might call you a Jesus freak, a Jesus fanatic, a Bible thumper. What all names you got? My question is, so what? A lack of compassion. You don't care about the perishing. I don't care about the perishing. Number two, ignorant of the heart of God. I mean, we think that God has healed me so that I would be 
healed and sit at home. Ignorance of the blessing of God. Why do you think God has blessed you with a salary to have enough for yourself and more? Have you thought about it? Is he because he loves you more than the poor Christian in Brunei? If you've got a thousand real salary and you want to live only in 500, why has he given you that 500 extra? Have you thought about it? Now I don't want to put a percentage on it. But you have missed the heart of God if you think your blessing is only for yourself. Three. Too much emphasis on triviality. Do you want to know where your heart is? I want you to go to the bank on Sunday and ask them for six months bank statement. And I want you to see the debit side. The withdrawals. That's where your heart is. We, we are out there collecting all the junk and dust collectors. I call them dust collectors. Because you have to dust them every week. Correct? And Centerpoint makes a lot of money while we have dust collectors in our house, while a poor Christian dies of hunger in Africa. True? Open your shelf and see how many dresses are there and how many you've not worn in the past six months. Open your shoe closet and see how many shoes are there and what you've not worn in the past six months. We had a report of a sister who was leaving Oman, 36 handbags. Don't laugh from our church. Emphasis on triviality. That brother wears the same shirt every week. He even smells when he comes next to me. That's because he doesn't spend 15 rials on Hugo Boss. He has an 800 Baiza deodorant. That's it. Why do you need the second car? And why do you need that to be a Benz? When half of South America has not heard. Emphasis on triviality. An unawareness that your same job 
my same job can be done in that same country. Maybe we get paid less. And that's the fear. You can still be a doctor, a chartered accountant, an engineer, a plumber, a mechanic, a nurse, a carpenter in the same country that you would go to. What can I do to get back? Pray. Pray more. Pray first, God give me a heart of compassion. I was challenged when I read this. I have to be challenged. Because I have emphasis on triviality. Pray. Pray that God will move you to feel lost and broken when you don't reach to a lost and broken. Pray for a missionary. Pray for a mission. How many of us prayed for those girls who are kidnapped by Boko Haram? How many of us prayed for the, 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 I don't know if you know this, the viral YouTube video now is of a lady called Emily Letts. She has a YouTube video of her own abortion. It doesn't show anything graphic. Have you prayed? When you go through the newspapers, do you pray? Visas stopped for workers in Oman. Let them come, Lord. And let my brother who visits the camp visit them, Lord. Let them be saved. Join in prayer for missions and missionaries. We pray here every third Thursday for missions. Even though, sad to say, our emphasis has gone astray for some time now. But I invite you. Get back to praying for missions, missionaries, third Thursday, 5.30 to 7. Make a disciple. Begin at home. Do you know you have a mission field at home? I mean, how many of you would are praying, God, make my son a missionary to Japan? Or a missionary to, to Africa? God, make my son a doctor. Let him be an engineer. Lord, let him be an advocate. Let him make tons of money. Let him go to the, the Ivy League schools. Let him study at Harvard. Lord, let him be a graduate from Princeton. Are you ready for your son or your daughter to be martyred? When Jesus bids you to come, Isaac Shaw, who runs a Bible institute in Delhi, he said, 
when Jesus bids you to come, he bids you to come and die. Make a disciple at home. Call your children to faith in Christ. Don't buy them iMacs and iPods and Big Macs and all that stuff. I mean emphasis on triviality. We are teaching our children even now to be emphasized on triviality. How many dresses will you buy your daughters? How many shirts do they need? I mean how many do they wear at a time? Don't teach them. Don't teach them triviality. Learn to say no to their extravagance. Half of our children in the adult school, here in Friday school, carry iPads. Not against you giving them iPads. But look at where their heart would lead them. The heart is the most deceitful, desperate beyond cure. Be careful. Learn the Bible. What can I do to make a disciple? Learn the Bible. Teach the Bible. Learn the Bible. Teach the Bible. Learn it. Learn it. I cannot emphasize it more. Learn your Bible. Then you would teach others. Learn the whole counsel of God. Conform obedience. You obey first. Give to missions. I'm not saying how many or how much. Give to missions. If you're giving to the church, find. Find a missionary organization you can give to. Give them secretly. Nobody needs to know. Let it hurt you to give. Live with a missionary mentality. Do you know that you are a missionary here? Or has the comfort made you forget it? Why else would God send you, most of you are from India, what one billion plus and God chose a handful of you to come to Oman. Why? He loves you more? You feel you are important? Yes, you are important to God if you are there between the two comings. Let's bow our heads in prayer and as you close your eyes, I want to read you a parable. Very powerful parable. Please listen to it. Make sure that your children don't disturb you. On a dangerous sea coast where shipwrecks often occurred, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut and there was only one lifeboat. But the few devoted members 
kept a constant watch over the sea with no thought for their own safety and they went out day and night tirelessly rescuing the lost many lives were saved by this wonderful little life saving station and it became famous some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding areas wanted to become associated with this station and give their time and money and effort to the support of its work therefore new boats were bought and crews were trained and the little life station now grew some of the members of the life saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped they felt a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those who get saved from the shipwreck so they replaced the emergency cot and beds and put new furniture better buildings better carpet now the life saving station became a popular gathering place for its members and they decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely because they used it as a club few members are now interested in going out to sea on life saving missions so they hired other sea boats to do the work for them the life saving motif still prevailed in the club's decoration and there was a liturgical lifeboat in the room where the club initiations were held and about this time a large ship was wrecked off the coast and the hired crew brought in the loads of wet and cold and half drowned people they were dirty they were sick the beautiful new club was messed up so the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where the victims of the shipwreck could be cleaned up before they come inside at the next meeting there was a split in the club membership and most of the members wanted to stop the life saving activity because there was a hindrance and unpleasant to the normal social life of the club some members insisted on life saving as their primary purpose and they pointed out there were still a life saving sa- station nevertheless but they were voted down and told that if they wanted to save lives they could do it on their own as the years went by the new station experienced same changes that occurred to the old and other clubs came up history continued to repeat itself and if you visit that coast today you will find lots of exclusive clubs shipwrecks still happen but most of the people drown it's easy for our church to lose sight how about you have you lost sight of your original commission from the lord father i pray for each person here in this room because we have heard these many years the gospel call of jesus christ and we like the faithful ones who stood by the hillside on galilee on that day we hear we heard it once again and we are willing god we are willing to be sent out 
We thank you for them that went out before us because we are the fruit of their going out. God, that there may be a generation of those that are the fruits of our going out. Help us, Lord, to deal with our lives, our time, our money, our opportunities, our family, with everything for the sake of the Savior and eternity. And to know that we are here for one reason and one reason only. And to miss that is to miss everything. Work in every life assembled here today. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. I want us to rise on our feet, please. You have heard the word of God today. It's not left to you. How do you respond to it? I'm going to read for you from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. And we see the passion for soul in the heart of a true child of God. Paul said in verse 16, 1 Corinthians 9, 16, I read from NLT, New Living Translation, Yet preaching the gospel, the good news, is not something I can boast about. I am compelled. I am forced. It is a must for me. I am compelled by God to do it. Now listen. How terrible for me. He can just say, woe is me. Say, I am cursed if I don't preach the gospel. That's what Paul said. Do you have passion for soul like this? He said, how terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news. Now look at 17. He said, if I were doing this on my own initiative, I would deserve payment. But I have no choice. I have no choice. I must preach the gospel. I want to make this commitment yourself. If you are saved, wonderful. Like the pastor said, if you are not saved, you need to do it for your own self first. You need to worship God first. But if you know you are saved here, I want you to have two names. It may be in your office, in your family. Somebody you know around you that is not yet saved. And you will not give up until that person is saved. And what do you do for him or her? You pray for him. And as you pray, God will bring the opportunity for you to preach. And you ask the person to give his or her life to Jesus. I want you to do that in the next two minutes. Who is it? You are not praying yet. Just picture someone, two people. It may be in your office, in your family. That you have said, God, I want this person saved. It may be your father and your mother. It may be your son. It may be your wife. It may be your husband. Two people that you cannot afford them to go to hell. Picture them. It may be your boss. And begin to pray from now on. Don't stop praying for that person until that person is saved. When you wake up in the morning, pray for that person to be saved. 
that is the essence of today. Now go ahead and begin to pray for that person now in the next one second. The Lord, I refuse to give up until this man is saved. I refuse to give up until my husband is saved. I refuse to give up until my father is saved. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. I'll give you this announcement once again. Next week, by the grace of God, we'll be having the parents and children meeting. It's going to be on Saturday, 17th. And every child that is 11 years and above must attend. And of course, all parents must attend. The Lord bless you as to do that in Jesus' name. Let's share the grace of God and fellowship. With the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Abundance and grace go in peace in Jesus' name.